Girl Blogette. It's Amanda Lauren. Okay, so please don't hate me, but I'm doing this intro on my phone because I'm so slammed and Ali's so slammed and we're so busy and we know this episode is out a day later than normal. And, you know, we're sorry about that. Actually, some bonuses have been coming out on Thursday, so maybe I shouldn't correct myself. But um, I just want to talk to you all, and Allie gave me permission to sort of talk about this in the intro that I'm recording, because unfortunately, it's about something super serious that happened to me last week. Um, Wait, before I do that, um, I will be performing at Flappers on Monday night in Burbank. I will tweet about it at Amanda Lauren. Uh, the exact details, but if any of you blogettes want to come and support me, I'm doing stand-up. I'm really excited. I used to do stand-up in New York back in the day, like Caroline's and Gotham, and I haven't really done it in LA for a variety of reasons, but I'm back on stage. Um, I'm telling some interesting stories, some of the stuff that I've talked about on the podcast, um, and I would love to see you all there. So check my Twitter and check um, check the Facebook page and group for all the details. Okay, so now I want to talk about what happened to me last week because we love you all, and I just I really really want every single listener to to hear this story and to know to know what happened. Um, so I I was. I had to run from a burglar trying to break into my apartment building, and it was a terrifying experience. So I'm going to tell you everything that happened. So I was hosting the premiere, the red carpet of um, Los Angeles Overnight, which you should all go see. It's on video on demand now. Um, I was so excited, and it was so it was such a privilege to do this. I was so happy. Um, I entered my garage at like 10, 18 at night, um, hadn't eaten like all day, had veggie grill with me, really excited to eat. I pull in and I hear these people arguing. Um, oh, and if you're new to listening to this, I live in a very large building in Los Angeles um, with security, ironically. So I pull in, I hear these people arguing. I'm like, I don't want to be a part of this drama. This is bullshit. So I sit in my car for a minute. I, these people are still arguing. I don't really know what they're talking about, but I'm like, oh, I just want to eat. Like, whatever, get me out of here. So I do that. So I'm like, okay. I'm getting out. And this guy who was not dressed appropriately for the weather, I mean, I wasn't really dressed appropriately for the weather either, but clearly, like, I had just gone to an event. But it was freezing that night, and this guy was in, like, basketball shorts and, like, a T-shirt. And he asks me what time it is, and I tell him, I look down, I say, it's 10.20, um... And, you know, who asked someone for the time anyway? And my car is basically at a dead end. So it's not like he was looking for his car. And also, he like, he looked just really hot. Like, there was something not right with his eyes. So I go the other way. I go towards the elevator. And he turns around. And him and another tenant are arguing. And this tenant basically says to him, you know, I, I know you don't live here. And by the way, just something else. You can't, if you did live in the building and you lost your key, all you would have to do is buzz yourself in on the first floor on a different entrance. You would never do it through the garage. So this guy clearly didn't belong there. So they keep arguing. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, are you kidding me? Like, why? And then they come towards the elevator bank. Um, I'm waiting for the elevator. And they ask me, you know, oh, the guy's like, oh, I know her. And he's like, I know you, right? And I'm like, uh... 
I don't recognize you, but that doesn't mean anything. Again, I'm just really trying to stay out of it. The other guy is trying to, the tenant's trying to protect me. The other guy gets closer. The elevator is going to be there in a second. And I'm like, this guy is definitely going to follow me into the elevator for sure. Um, And so I make a split second decision and I look up, I was holding my phone. I look up from my phone. I look at both of them and I just run towards the first floor, like make sure, look back for a second, make sure no one is following me, fob myself into the building, close the door, run to the elevator, make sure he's not in it. Like I stepped away a little bit um, and then went up to my apartment and called security to, um, because I, I didn't want to leave this guy. The guy could have had a gun. The guy could have had a knife. I don't I don't know what would have happened had he gotten in the elevator with me. I, I have no idea. Um, I don't think it would have been anything good. I don't know if he had a weapon. I, I don't know. But But the point, the reason why I'm telling all of you this really this this story is because I just want everyone to be safe. Um, I had someone um, I went to school with that was uh, murdered in a parking lot in um, five years ago. And it's really, really heartbreaking when I think that, when I heard that, It just, it broke my heart because even though I wasn't close to this person, he was a really good guy and just his wife was there and just did not, just, it's, it's a tragedy and it's a loss of life and it's horrible. And when when I heard what happened ever since then, um, I've just been really vigilant in parking garages and parking lots and, and anything like that. I've just been, you know, I always have my wits about me and I'm a space cadet. Like you listen to me on the podcast. I'm spaced out half the time, but I always make sure my keys in my hand and I'm not really trying to look at my phone and I have my wits about me because had I not, who knows what would have happened that night. Um, and just, I just want to say, like, my building has security. Um, the security guard's a moron. I actually, between all of us, uh, between, you know, me and the internet, um, I think he's getting fired. Uh, he should be because my building has had multiple break-ins um, in the garage, and he should have been standing in front of the garage. It's like, if you have a heart problem... Would your doc and you kept having heart problems? Would your doctor tell you to see a podiatrist? No, he you'd go to a cardiologist. Same thing. He should have been in front in the garage or in front of the garage the whole time, and he basically lied to the building about um, about what happened, uh, and was totally unconcerned with my safety, which was beyond just just so beyond misogynistic. Um, and, and, and dangerous. Like, I could have lost my life because he didn't want to do his job. But that's the point. The point is, when you're in those situations, Blogettes, you only have yourself. I, I feel, I still feel sort of guilty. And look, the other guy was fine. The guy was removed from, the intruder was removed from the building. But, like, I should have had mace. I should have had a taser or a stun gun. And I, I didn't. Um... And I, I'm just I'm just so lucky to have gotten out safely, even though obviously, as you can tell, I'm very shaken up by the incident and I'm very upset about it. But I, I just want all of you to know safety is self-care. Please, 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 please be careful 
have your wits about you, have your key, don't fumble for things in your purse. I get it, just sit in your car, turn on the light and, and look for it, have it in your hand and just please be aware of your surroundings. I would just hate for anything else you know, the good that can come out of this is, well, the good that came out of it is that nothing terrible happened to me, but I also just want to put the word out there that like safety is self-care. I might start a hashtag and that, um, I just, just please, please think of safety as a form of self-care. Um, that was, that was intense. Um, okay. A few matters of business. Please keep writing us iTunes reviews. Um, that makes us really happy. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Amanda Lauren. On Instagram, I'm at It's Amanda Lauren because, as I always say, Instagram hates me. Um, Allie is at Allie Levine Design across all platforms. And by the way, directions to write a review are in the show notes. Uh, okay, now that I've totally uh, been a downer, you will love this episode with Amanda Stauffer. She's an amazing writer. She's super talented. She lives in New York. She makes a lot of recommendations. So if you live in the city and you're traveling, um, I would definitely take her advice. And of course, read her book. So here we go. Amanda Stauffer um, on the... Welcome to Things We're Too Lazy to Blog About. I am Amanda Lauren, and I am with my co-host, Ali Levine. Hey, hey, hey. And we are with another Amanda. Not IRL, but on the phone. Wow, my voice just cracked. I was going to say, that was cute. <laughs> my voice just cracked like That's a what happens, Amanda, teenager. We, we power through for like seven hours. We, we are on like hour seven of recording. <laughs> This is like a badass announcement. (laughs) On the seventh hour, they want to murder each other. The microphone is just a wire, and they're like, they're walking in circles. No, just kidding. We are, we are with. I'm. This is the world's worst introduction. We are on the line another Amanda, Amanda Stouffer, who wrote, is it Stouffer or Stouffer? Please pronounce her last name because clearly. Oh, I it, it's, well, I will respond to anything, but it's actually, it's Stouffer, so it like rhymes with author, you know. Stouffer, that's really yeah. nice. I feel like people probably <laughs> screw that up though when they call you from like awesome. Amex oh, or know. a restaurant. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Something. Um, but we are with the author of A Match Made. In Manhattan. A match made in Manhattan. I don't know what is wrong with me today. Um, how are you doing? I am very good. Thank you for having me on here. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for your – we've, like, rescheduled Amanda 400 times today because yes, we're bad at Yeah. So I want to hear no, all about your book, your dating life in New York, how you're basically Carrie Bradshaw, but also Samantha doesn't hate you. <laughs> so tell us about your book. So the book, let's see, the book came out about three weeks ago from Skyhorse, and it was originally written as memoir. So it was originally a memoir of my year on Match.com, and then it got acquired as women's fiction. So it's a novel of now Allison's life on Match.com. And um, every, every chapter is 
a new man that she meets online. So there are a lot of like threads and themes woven throughout that, you know, we can get to, but I've, I've always sort of thought of it as a collection of profiles, like the eligible men inhabiting the city. Um, and, you know, it includes correspondence, the sort of ways that people meet and connect these days, like the, the sort of epistolary novel with text messages and emails and all that kind of thing, but also, you know, real life interactions, dialogue, narrative, that kind of thing. That's so, that's so interesting. Wait, one thing I want to know is, so how did it become, because it's so funny, I was thinking about this the other day. I actually started writing a memoir several years ago, and I was like, I should yeah. turn it into a novel. How did, it, what was the process of turning it from a memoir to a novel, and why, oh. why did you do that? I'm just very curious. Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, I wrote the book as memoir because I felt like, to me, it would be much more, interesting and relatable if people knew that all of these really interesting men, I mean, obviously none of them, I met many more people than the men that are fit into the book. Um, but ultimately, you know, the people that are just average or don't have like interesting or exciting stories who are just maybe nice, didn't make the cut. And I felt like the idea of all these really kind of fascinating, quirky, sometimes crazy, sometimes, you know, incredibly bright men would be much more appealing if people who are reading the book thought like, Oh, well, she's not dating John anymore. I wonder if John's going to be the person I meet on my next date because he's out there and he's single and in the same city as me. Um, and so I felt like it was important that it be memoir. However, um, the publishing industry and world is um, very set on sort of categories that things should fall into. And essentially at this point in time, it's really hard to get a memoir published if you don't have a platform and platform, you know, essentially means like 10,000 Twitter followers or Instagram followers or a really great mm -hmm. podcast that a lot of people listen to or that kind of thing. And that was never something that I was either good at or really thought about doing. I sort of just like wanted to write these stories and get these stories out there. And so I stuck with it as memoir thinking that, you know, even though I knew I was going to have these hurdles where people were going to say, you don't, have enough followers uh, that I would find like an agent who would then find a publisher, like publisher who would think, yeah, like for all those reasons, it's a universal story that needs to be told as true. Um, what was interesting was that I found, you know, you end up having to query literary agents when you're looking for one, unless you're like very well connected or something. And so you're essentially cold pitching them with like a very formulaic one page email. That's like, this is what my book is about. And they're all written in the same yeah. tone. And, um, and the agents that made offers for, to represent me we're all taking it as memoir. So I was like, sweet, this is everything I, you know, the, every vision that I had for this book was, was in line with theirs. But ultimately, um, some of that early advice I'd gotten proved to be true. And so when it came time for my agent to shop to publishers, she got a lot of feedback from the editors that would say, you know, I, the story really resonated, that I really loved the arc, I really loved the character or the voice, but people don't really care about reading a book, a memoir from someone who is like a nobody. Um, and so it was under their, uh, the essentially like editorial consensus was that I should go back and just change it into fiction. And so that, that was not actually, that process wasn't that hard for me. Um, you know, of course you like change names and identifying details. Um, one of the easiest ways to go about doing it is to form, to sort of combine storylines. So the, let's say you have like a guy named Mark and a guy named, you know, James, you, fuse some of their characteristics into one person and take like the more interesting storylines from each of them and change the names. So they've now become composite characters. So that makes them quote unquote, like fictionalized that way. So at this point, all of the men in the book are fiction. 
all of the experiences, like every great date, every weird date, every heartache and heartbreak, all of those things actually happened to me in real life. And all of the supporting cast, all of the friends, like the platonic guy friend, my brother, they all kept, they all opted to keep their names. Like I asked them if they wanted to. <laughs> and so, you know, my roommates, like, you know, Nicole and, and Ashley, like they're still Nicole and Ashley in the book. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and so they're sort of like a, a hybrid that way, but ultimately because the main crux of the book focuses on the men, they're all, they're all fiction now. <laughs> I have to tell you, no, that's really interesting because in so many different, any sort of media now, they kind of require, they don't kind of, they do, they require you to have like a social media platform. And uh-huh. we had on Amy Dresner, who wrote yeah. a memoir, mm-hmm. and she wasn't mm-hmm. big on social media, but she wrote for like the fix. So she did have a platform um, mm-hmm. that was not like a traditional platform. And then like, I gave her some social media tips. Um, <laughs> because, <laughs> this is what you do for this, blah, blah, blah. Cause she's also like, she just was not also, she's a little bit, I was going to say, I don't know how old she's. I think she's close to 50. Yeah. Oh, maybe okay. she's 47. Oh, like so that. like, she's not it's, super. And you know, she like shot cocaine in her neck for years. Right. So like, she wasn't yeah. like really <laughs> up on all the social media stuff, you know, the way yeah. like, a lot of other people are. Right. Mm hmm. And I think it probably matters for demographic a little bit too, then like what your target audience is. Right. So if I don't know if it's memoir and she's at that age, like, I don't know if if it resonated more with the younger folk or with people of her own generation, but certainly to make a very gross generalization right now, um, I feel like the reading audience in their fifties is like probably not as keen, like not as committed to following their beloved authors on social media, the way that like the 20 to 30 set is or that kind of thing, you know? Um, So perhaps those are, perhaps those standards are are a little different for the different authors. Um, But yeah, it's been, it's been interesting because that, you know, there are a lot of unforeseen, like you write a book and you're kind of like, I wrote a book, like I did the writing part. It was fun. And now I'm done and I'm going to go write my next book. Um, And then your publisher is like, no, no, no. Now it's time to spend the next nine months of your life promoting the shit out of it. (laughs) Um, And it's, and for someone who had no background in that, I, it's been a, it's been a really interesting learning experience, but also like, man, it is hard to get the word out about things, you know? (laughs) Um, So I can see why platform is important, but um, it's an interesting thing because I think a lot of authors by nature are a little bit less, not outgoing, but like they're a little bit shyer, right? We like hover behind our laptops and instead all of a sudden you're like told that you have to go out there and be like, me, 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 everybody look at me. <laughs> no, I, no, I get it. Like it's, you know, because I, I have my blog and I'm also like a freelance yeah. writer for different sites. And I'm like, sometimes I'm like the most isolated person and it's like, you can't help it. Well, it's like six o'clock and I'm, leaving the house for the first time to walk the dogs. Mm-hmm. My husband obviously <laughs> takes care of the dogs earlier in the day sometimes, mm-hmm. but like, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you're just like yeah. behind the laptop all day and like, Oh mm-hmm. my God, there are people and they're speaking to me. Why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's like terrifying. <laughs> no, it's true. I'm so terrible about, about saying that, but no. And even then, like we've had, we've known like from Abby Stern, who was also, yeah. um, who also yeah. wrote like a chick lady kind of book. And, yep. you know, another we, example, we've ended up on some lists together. So I actually like, have oh. on my, like to read shelf and stuff. Cause I'm aware of her book. Cause we've been, you know, listed on like 
random chiclet club and chiclet central websites and stuff like that and roundups you know i know it's she's i know she's amazing i'm actually i've become really good friends with her. like we actually i don't know if Alan, I, we text each other like every other day <laughs> oh that's so nice she's she's great but like i've really learned a lot from her about like book promotion and amy as well like these are not like I feel like, not to say your publisher doesn't do anything for you, and I actually know someone else who published a book through Skyhorse, um, Amy mm, Penn, mm-hmm. Phillips Penn, but it was a while ago. Um, she had mm-hmm. two books then, I think. Um, but you have to do, so, like, they don't do any of the promotion for you. Like, you have to be your own publicist, even if they hire a publicist. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I think um, like, you know, like I'm, yeah. you know, I'm a celebrity stylist and fashion expert and I'm on camera and I'm now a somebody page TV correspondent and like an influencer, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, I still promote myself, even though I'm an amazing publicist and I have a great manager, like I'm still doing the work all the time. Oh, that's interesting. That actually makes me feel better a little bit. Cause I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, maybe worse. Cause I'm like, Oh, it doesn't get easier, <laughs> but, yeah, but well, better when you're like, Oh, it's like, not, it actually is like that at every level. Oh, nice. It's like democratic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's just like you know it's um it's just the way it goes I think you know you have to um have to expect that especially in today's world you got to push yourself mm-hmm. besides someone else pushing you mm-hmm. it's 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 weird because they don't teach you about it. I was actually just having this conversation with my agent like over text message yesterday <laughs> and uh she was saying to me like I got some really nice review and she was like, this is so great. Like, I'm so proud of you. I know I've been saying since day one that like, all you have to do is market yourself. And that's like 60% of the book. And she's like, and I know you didn't believe me, but like, that really is it. And I was thinking to myself, she did say that. And she said that for like a year. And I thought it was so annoying. Cause I was like, no, I wrote a book. We're just focusing on the book. Like I have to do edits and I have to do copy edits and proofreads. Like I don't care about the marketing side. And then it rolls around and you know, your book goes out to print and it takes a long time before like your print book actually hits bookshelves. And so in that time you just market and it's fascinating. Cause it's like, I wrote, I wrote the book in three months and I think conservatively, wow. I probably spent like, yeah, but I, and I think I actually spent like somewhere between seven and nine months doing the like same hour, like 14 hour, 12 hour long days, whatever, just promoting it and like pitching outlets and whatever. <laughs> That's insane. Like I could have written three books in that time. You know? <laughs> totally. It's no, it's, it's true though. It's like, I'll spend so much it's it's hard because like it's just me and I had an intern at one point but I don't have one right now because I'm just so out of patience for people that's that's why I'm just like I I don't even want to have anyone else here like I just need to like do it you know DIY Mm -hmm. I will spend so sometimes I feel like I spend half my day marketing or like I'll spend hours like setting up tweets for the next month exactly to just Mm -hmm. promote my blog posts and articles and all and our podcast and all of that stuff and it's so much it's like sometimes it's hard to concentrate on the actual work instead of the marketing Mm -hmm. of the work Mm -hmm. yeah totally agreed (laughs) it's and like how do you do that so you have a two-year-old yeah I have she's two and a half um, her name is Genevieve and, um, that, that's like a fun wrench. <laughs> I feel like it makes things more complicated. You know, I wrote the book when I was, it takes so, 
publishing moves at like a glacial pace. And so I wrote this book before I was even pregnant and that's how long it took to like get out the door. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's been interesting because I kind of, I'm now at the phase where I'm about like halfway through writing my second book and finding even setting aside the whole like publicity side of everything I'm doing to market match made in Manhattan. It's like, you can't find uninterrupted parts of the day to do anything. <laughs> you know, It's like I used to write in 14 hour days and now I'm like, uh, I'd like maybe on a good day, write for two hours because that's how long she naps for. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I think there is a way to find a balance. I'm not sure I've actually found it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Allie. I know like you're like, this is, sounds exciting. I mean, I think, um, but I think some people are much better at it. I think it also depends on like what your work situation is and, I go into an office two days a week to like restore old buildings, totally different side of my life. And the right. rest of the time when I'm like, quote unquote, wearing my like writer cap, I'm based, I'm home with her and we don't have help. And so you're like, that's interesting. Like, there's no way to actually get anything done except for being like, how about you watch another like six episode of Sesame Street? But <laughs> so. so, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So what did you do before you wrote this book before you, you know, officially became a writer? Yeah. So, I, I restore old buildings. I'm an architectural conservator. It is coincidentally the same profession as the protagonist in my book. And um, I've, I've been doing that for a long time. I went to graduate school after college for that in architecture school at Columbia. And then I have been doing it ever since. And I took, um, I took two years off when we moved abroad. My husband and I moved to India and then Paris for his job. And so I sort of, it was amazing. (laughs) It was like, it was the greatest two years of my life. (laughs) And um, we have, I was working part-time at that point, like working remotely. And so that obviously freed it up for me to write this book. And because the book was memoir and because it had all, it had all been things that had happened to me, I, you know, it had been like germinating as like the seed in the back of my brain for probably, gosh, like, it now, I mean, now it's been like eight years that, that that year of my life to publication date now is like eight years and it's all updated all and all the technology is updated and, and the restaurant venues and bar venues in New York, like everything's up to date, but the actual storyline happened a long time ago. And that was, it was essentially like, I couldn't find time to write that book until I was able to scale down from like a 50 or 60 hour work week to like a 20 hour work week when I was living abroad. And that was how I had time to write it, but I'd outlined it super heavily um, like the, the story of it was actually that I was out at a bar one night with my sister and some friends and I, I had just come off of like a really, um, I feel like I'm telling something that happens in my book, but at the very end of the book, um, the protagonist, Allison is like sort of thinking about her year and she gets a message from someone that she's been corresponding with forever. And she like vaguely knows through match.com and she's debating if she should meet up with him or not. That because they've like just been essentially like texting buddies forever. And that happened to me. And the night that that happened, when I was like, should I? Like, I'm on the fence. Like, now I'm finally single. Maybe I should go meet this guy. Maybe not. My friends were like, this, you have met some really amazing people this year. Like, what, where are these men? Why are we not finding them? And, and I was like, that, that has nothing to do with me. I'm sure you've gone on dates with the exact same men. It's like totally a question of perspective. And like, while you're seeing like a date that, maybe it didn't work out well for you romantically. And then you forgot about, I was like, I definitely don't want to date this guy, but he's so fascinating. He's an undercover agent. And I learned all this, you know, sort of like dirt on the federal government and whatever. And, and it's like, I took each thing as like an interesting experience that then made me feel like I was getting, I was having a richer year essentially, even though I wasn't like in a long-term relationship any more than my friends were at that point. 
And so they were like, yeah, but, but let's think about all these crazy experiences you've had. And so we got on the back of a cocktail napkin. We wrote all the interesting people in order that I met that year. Oh, wow. And we like graphed them out. We were kind of like, oh, here's like the high point. And I was like dating this guy. And then like, here's the low point when he stomped in my heart. And, um, <laughs> and ultimately I, it was such a funny and fun, they were like, there's a book in this. And it was such a funny and fun conversation. And I really felt like there was an arc there. Like once, because we were like nerds and we grasped like, like sort of, you know, just like a little arc. Um, it seemed like there was something to it. And so I went home that night, you know, two in the morning or whatever, whenever we got home from the bar and I was so jazzed by this idea that I stayed up um, turning it into an outline and remembering all the details of the story being like one day all this is going to be super fuzzy to me so it would you know I would say oh here's you know the guy that took me metal welding on our second date and made me wear hazmat gear and and here's the guy that did that you know that um, I'm trying to think of other like good examples here the guy who like kind of did like a Jekyll and Hyde routine and got a little crazy and scary and and you're plotting out the good and the bad. And at the end, I just stayed up. I was so like energized by the story that like at 10 AM I hadn't gone to sleep, but I had an 80 page outline. Oh my God. (laughs) And I was like, all right, I will write this book one day. And then I never touched it again because I never had time. And so then when we moved abroad, I was like, well, there's this Microsoft Word document sitting at my computer and I finally want to write it. And, and in my experience, like I, you know, the book I'm writing, I'm working on right now is, is much more fiction heavy than memoir. And it's harder for me, like writing memoir was so easy because it's like each, you remember the stories and you remember their voices. And instead of, and there are a lot of men in my book. Like when I originally submitted it, the book was 450 pages long and there were like 35 Uh men. And here getting the difference between, you know, the guy named, like the guy named Luke and the guy named Paul was easy because in my, they were really distinct people. So saying like, how do you differentiate them? You're like, well, Luke would never say that. Like Luke is tall and Luke is blonde and Luke, you know, has this kind of background mm-hmm. and comes from this kind of family. And so the story just kind of wrote itself for me because of that. You know, I'm, I, I think that's probably, I, I'm sure that writing nonfiction is, is, you know, very different in each experience that you're writing about, but particularly because I could talk about dating stories, like all the little long day, it was, it was just a really fast and fun, you know, writing experience or process. That's amazing. That's so, that's really interesting. That's, wait, what is your second book about? Are you allowed to talk about it? Yeah, we want to know. Yeah, yeah, I can talk about it. It's, it's different though. So the the second book is, is also fiction based on memoir, but it's a different, it's a, it's sort of a departure. It's in the same genre, but instead of being about like Alf and going on 9 million dates, um, the second book is about a friendship that Allison develops the first year of college and it's essentially two women who then grew up and it jumps forward in locations and time, like with each chapter. And it follows their friendship until into like their thirties into, you know, they've each gone through marriages and, and some, and have children. And it's sort of tracing the friendship and, and the ways in which women can like grow apart and grow back together, like pretty seamlessly. And also that aspect of like how we can like drive our best friend, like, like not only crazy, but like some, you know, people can sort of like drive each other away, but those bonds are actually quite deep in in certain cases. And so you can come back together, like almost without having missed a step in the uh-huh. other person's life. Yeah. Um, I love that. That's so, that's and so, it's so true. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Like it's so true because like, I, I say this to my girlfriends 
back east all the time, like being, you know, in LA, being super busy and being super pregnant and like so much going on. Like I don't always have time to get on the phone with them. And it's like every time I talk to them, it's like we recruit, like reconnect, like nothing. And it's like no time has passed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so nice. And it's like really special. Yeah. So that's, that's like, that's a good, that's a, that's the good side of it. The other side is also a little bit about how, um, how the, the two women in the book are very, very different. And one of them sort of con- is, is, is much more the Allison, the main character in my current book will also um, be the main character in the next so book. And so it's, it is, but it's not, it's going to be a standalone because I don't think anyone who it's like not necessarily the same audience. If you're like the people who are want to see like Allison's love story unfold and want to see, you know, who she had, like all of that. I, it, I'm not sure that like the friendship book is necessarily going to be exactly up their alley too. So the idea is that you would have all these like inside insights and jokes if you had read the first book, but like you could read the second book without it. (laughs) Um, But the idea is that her friend is, um, is really different from her and is very eclectic and sort of a free spirit and also a complicated person with like a complicated childhood. And so she tends to reinvent herself a lot. So it's like she becomes a very um, outwardly different person every four or five years. And it's sort of the, the, the following of like how that changes the friendship. I don't know if you guys have anyone like that in your life. I only have a couple of people like that in my life, probably just two. But I've always found it fascinating. I used to believe that like people can't really change. <laughs> and I've been in, really interested to like watch this particular friend um, change and, and, and make, make a very different life for herself at each point. Um, so it's, it's a little bit about that, too. No, no, I totally get it. It's weird. Dan- Danielle, my friend Danny, who is on this podcast. Oh, yeah, she's I've awesome. known her since, like, our families happened to be vacationing at the same resort since, like, when we were, like, 16. And oh, that's we so cool. Friends through so many, like, different times. And, like, there were, like, sometimes, like, we wouldn't speak for um, for a year. Just, like, we had, I mean, I don't want to, like, tell too much of her life story. But, like, you yeah. know, there, you know, people go through difficult stages and people like grow apart and then they come back together. And then, but ultimately I was so happy that I stayed friends with her because she introduced me to my husband. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) It's no, it's true. It's like, what if my parents had a different travel agent? Yeah, (laughs) it's so true. (laughs) I mean, my life would be totally, would be totally different. Yeah. So it's, it's really sort of crazy, you know, when I think about that. What does your friend think that you were kind of writing a book about her? Yeah, she, um, so she, she is an, an artist um, as like her profession. So she totally, she digs it. Um, I think she feels like it's, it's a part of storytelling and a part of um, our lives. And, and it's, it, it is fiction. So she's definitely, uh, it, she is for sure the person that inspired it, but it's not like a, her spit and image. Um, what was interesting was that this, this book actually occurred to me because an editor, um, at Simon and Schuster, who I, was like my dream editor, who I, who I did not end up working with because she rejected me. Um, she had given me, um, very, very detailed notes for a revise and resubmit for Match Made in Manhattan. And there is like one paragraph in this whole book where this friend is featured and Allison is going to her wedding. And the, she talks about how the bride is sort of this, um, very, ethereal, artistic, like sort of lives life to the fullest and dramatically kind of person. She's just explaining it to a date. The date is kind of like, what's your bride friend like who you're flying out to see next week? And she's like, oh, I'll tell you. And it's this, it literally is a paragraph. And this editor had highlighted the paragraph in her return notes and been like, 
this girl and this friendship should be the story for your next book. And I was, and at the time I was kind of like, oh yeah, like maybe she's a character. Um, and she's obviously very important to me. She's my best friend. And, um, but it was, I never told, I didn't tell her about it until really recently. And when I, and when I did, I was like, so I sort of like started this book, but I can throw it in the trash. And she was like, no, I love this idea. Like that is what art should be mirroring lives. And, you know, she's the right person to want something like that written in her homage, you know? (laughs) You know what it sort of reminds me of? Are you familiar with Brad Easton Ellis? No. Okay, so he wrote American Psycho, Glamour. So no, I don't think I'm familiar. Uh-huh. He wrote American Psycho and Glamorama and uh, Rules of Attraction, and I feel like he wrote something oh, else that's okay. really famous, and I can't, less than zero. Oh, okay. And all of the characters, not all of the characters, but many of them, my, there's like, oh, I'm so bad. This is how bad my memory <laughs> is, and these are really old books at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But minor character like from American Psycho is the main character in Glamorama please I feel like I'm like really wrong here (laughs) but there are different characters there are minor characters in some books that are major characters in other books that is uh-huh. correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are um, there are a number of women fiction authors who, who do that as well. And it's always like sort of an in-joke or treat when you're like, wait a second, I know something about their marriage or whatever, you know? It's, yeah, it's really, it's sort of, in, well, he, I mean, his books are now like, I don't remember. He did write, he did write a book a few years ago and it was the sequel to Lesson Zero and I didn't read it, but all of his books are from the 80s and 90s and I was probably way too young to read them when I was reading them, but <laughs> um, if anyone really listens to this podcast, they know that, um, yeah, they that know, doesn't they know, really, yeah. they, they know that like, that doesn't really, yeah, you know, Wait, who did you, who did you say the author was? Freddie Stinellis. Oh, uh, yes, yes. okay. That Bim- when you were talking Bim- about these books, I was like, isn't it Brett Easton Ellis? But that wasn't the name I heard you say. So I was like, who oh. is this person? <laughs> Got it. No, we're on the same page. Yes, I am familiar with him. Okay. <laughs> I, like, I, once you started saying the books, I was like, we're talking about the same author, right? <laughs> Got it. Continue. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and Jay McInerney, I think, does it too. And I think there's a Jay McInerney character in a Brett Easton Ellis novel. There's like a whole article in like, vulture from before like that's that like explains all of this somewhere and i will find it and oh, maybe cool. yeah that, that explains the whole like like thing and like i i don't know it's right and like the book story of my life by jay mcinerney is oh, actually about is about um real hunter who had the affair with john edwards but her name yeah. is yeah um and i love that book it's a very weird book but it's do you have my copy of it I don't know. Do I? I think you might. I have no I don't idea. know where my... I, I just move. And I'm like, read this oh, like, really bizarre you're looking at me. I'm like, I have no idea. Who has my copy of that? I, this is fascinating for a podcast. <laughs> so what, <laughs> what was it like dating on Match.com? I never used Match when I, when oh, I, I did. was dating. I did. That I was used, a shit oh, shit. oh, my God. Huh. What, what uh, was it like? like? What were these I... men encounter? I loved it. I thought it it was like my favorite year of life. Um, sorry, Jason, but it was. Um, I really just loved it. I look. I did not. I obviously like didn't in real life meet my own husband on Match.com, but I gained a couple of friends who we're still friends with now. Um, I learned a tremendous amount about like jobs I never knew existed, areas of the city I'd never been to. You know, they're always introducing you to like new bars and restaurants and cool parks and whatever. And 
I, I just, there were so, there was very little about it that I didn't like. And I definitely, you know, met, I had a couple of dud dates as well, but by and large, I was expecting it to be much more like arduous and trying. And instead I felt like it was just so much fun. Like it, it, I kind of, it felt like a whirlwind, but that's also probably because I'd always been in like long-term multi-year relationships. And so it kind of was the first time I was ever like going on proper dates with people. Um, mm-hmm. But I felt like it was, it was an adventure, you know? And I know the, the part that's hard is that a lot of people don't see it that way. And that's, um, that is why I wrote the book because I was kind of like, guys, like it can be really fun if you set your mind to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I found that I met, you know, it, the city is big, obviously New York city is huge, but you do tend to only meet people within a certain number of degrees of separation from you, right? Like they either work at the same office or they like are friends with your friends or they live on the same block as you, all of these things that like necessarily put you in closer quarters. And I, you know, it would have been really nice if I had like met men on the subway, but that never happened for me. And mm-hmm. so being able to just all of a sudden be exposed to this whole sea of people that are out there was really exciting. I felt like there, you know, you also learn about a lot about yourself and I felt like going into it, I had really set ideas of what I wanted and almost immediately, like after one or two dates, I was kind of like, yep, nope, I'm open to these other things too. Like I'm open to meeting, you know, even just superficially like open to meeting men who are not tall and blonde and former rowers or whatever, but also like in, you know, the kind of things you thought you wanted from someone in terms of their career or their um, level of ambition or drive. Like I had set things and they ended up not mattering. I always felt like when you're across the table from someone and you're learning something, uh, all of that kind of very quickly goes out the window. I think for the better, at least from my experience. <laughs> no, it's kind of, I kind of agree with you. It's weird. Like when I met my husband and, um, Basically, he lived in, because I've I've explained this on other podcasts. So he lived in New York, where I'm from. We both grew up on the Upper Mm -hmm. East Side, a few blocks from each other, didn't know each other. Um, I lived in LA, and my friend lied, told him I was bi-coastal, which obviously I was not. I wasn't interested in him at all, because, like, why would I want to be with someone who's in New York? Like, that's, like, a Mm -hmm. terrible idea. Um, and she just annoyed me to the point where I'm like, tell him to add me on Facebook. So he did. And one day he DM'd me and I'm like, okay, like I, again, like I had, even though like he was very much like my type and he sounded great. I'm like, I'm in the middle of cleaning out my closet, which I totally was, but, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to like do, like I went on like an anti-rules thing. Like what will turn him off? I'll just immediately give him my phone number. (laughs) And tell him I'm cleaning my closet. And that way he'll never contact me again. So, you know, (laughs) he called me like immediately. And we talked on the phone for two hours. And um, then we, that was in like December, like a little bit over four years ago. And then we met um, right before Valentine's Day um, in, you know, in person. Um, Like, I think it was like the week of Valentine's Day. And we've been together ever since. But it was like... I wouldn't, I don't know if you know what LA is like, but the traffic Mm -hmm. is awful. I would not date that I knew. (laughs) I mean, like, I would not date someone across town because I'm like, oh, I don't want to sit in traffic. He has to live, you know, in these neighborhoods and he Mm -hmm. has to, and I want someone who does this, that, and the other. And he literally, the most, it's like, 
I was dating a guy in New York, but I wouldn't date a guy across town. I mean, <laughs> it, was just, it was like the LA struggle. It, yeah, it was it was <laughs> nuts, but it, it was it was meant to be. And like all of these things that I I'm like, oh, I don't like being in New York. I ended up hanging out in New York with him for six months at one point. This was after we were engaged. Because um, he was in the middle of transitioning to his job here and he wanted to stay a little bit longer. And I'm like, and I was a freelancer. So I'm like, okay, I'll let, you know, but I didn't think I was going to stay there that long. So all of these things, like you think like you would never stand for, that would never happen. They, they happen when you, when you mm-hmm. meet the right person or when yeah, you're doing the right thing. Everything just falls into place. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's actually like, that is one of the, the big sub themes of the book is about timing and like what that really means. And obviously I'm sure every person on the planet has their own theories about this, but the conclusion that I came to is that it's sort of like code for humans being fickle and that, and that it's like all about when you really catch us at like our right moment and that, that, and it's true both ways. Right. So it's my theory, like, and part of the, you know, some of the reviews on the, on the book have been like, you know, it's this funny, hilarious string of bad dates. And I was like, oh, that's weird. When I wrote the book, I thought there was only one bad date in the whole book. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and my whole point of writing it was that I actually, even if the men aren't for her, they're really great. But ultimately, I felt like there were, pro- I tried to write it so that there were about five men who she legitimately could have been happy with, like for the rest of her life. And because I believe, like, I believe that there's not one one, but that there are many ones that work for each of us if only the timing worked out. And I felt like having these five relationships and, and some of them are, you know, short, they're only four dates and some are three months or whatever. But I felt like she had this connection with each of them. But ultimately what tanks the whole thing is that it's the timing issue. And like, that could mean that they're just super distracted by work, like at that moment. And had they met like three weeks later or three months later, it would have been fine. Um, or it could mean that, you know, she's coming off of a bad breakup. And so she's super down on romance and, and love. But if she'd met him, write, you know, two people before him, for example, then maybe it would have worked out because she was a bit more open-minded. Um, and so I do think that, you know, it probably meant you, I don't believe in like fate or anything like that, but I feel like it probably meant you were like at the moment where you were ready, you know, you were, you weren't feeling especially down on life and you were feeling like ready for, for that, for him to be there at that point. I mean, so it's weird. It was just sort of like, I think I was just so over everything at, at that point, mm-hmm. like when I, when I met him. But so how did you end up sort of, because we talked about it a little bit before we started recording. Um, how mm-hmm. did you end up meeting your husband? Because you did not meet him on match. No, I did not. Um, that's sort of like the, I, I think everyone sort of like assumes I've done a lot of, of um, guests speaking panels and like keynote speaking at singles events <laughs> and, and like since you know before this book came out and now that the book is out and there's been you know everyone always wants to know like what my life is like right now on on match.com and I, I'm always like oh I like wish I were still on match it's so fun you meet all these great people but I'm I've been married for a while now um and I unfortunately did not meet him that way what what happened with me and Jason was that um we had gone to college together we'd been friends all the way through pretty more or less and when, let's see, we never, we didn't live in the same city for a very long time. He stayed, we went to school in Connecticut and he stayed there um, for, for doing a PhD. 
but he came into New York a lot. And so he was always at my birthday party every single year. And he you know, knew all my friends. He would crash on my couch. And he met a lot of the men that I dated during my year on Mets.com because Jason would just like come down, you know, every, every few months. And, and I'd be like, oh, I have a date tonight, but maybe we'll, I can get him to go out to a bar after. And Jason would be like, great, I'll meet you guys there. <laughs> so he, he is a, there's a character, a fictional Jason in the book based on real life Jason. They're pretty much the same person. But what ultimately happened in my real life story is that shortly after I, like really shortly after I closed my match subscription, like maybe a week after, um, we were at a New Year's like friend weekend. My parents used to own a house in the mountains up in the Catskills and we would always bring, my brother and I would bring like, you know, a dozen friends up there for long three-day weekends and things like that. And so we had all our friends up there for New Year's. And Jason had been there many times before when I'd had boyfriends, he'd come up with us and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we were just the last two people up. Like it was near Eve and everyone else had gone to bed and this is not unusual for us. We we are very similar in a lot of ways where I was sort of like the last man standing at the party and stuff like that. And also the first people up in the morning. And so we were cleaning up and he just blurted out, I love you. And it it was like really that sudden and that awkward and that unexpected. Um, and so I, um, I did not know what to do with that information. I told him that I loved him a whole lot as a friend and I didn't want to ruin our friendship. And he, he just made this like plea or, you know, he, he pled his case at least about how men and women, as much as like, I had a whole lot of guy friends, obviously Jason had been one for all that time and we'd never kissed or anything. And he made this plea about how those friendships are, at the end of the day, sort of tenuous once you're starting to like settle down and date other people and, or or marry other people. And so he, it was the first time that we had both been single at the same time ever in our lives. And that like one weekend. And so he was like, I thought I should seize the moment now and and tell you how I feel because I might never get this opportunity again. Um, And I told him that I wanted to think about it and that he shouldn't call me. And I would talk to him in two weeks. (laughs) And it was a very weird two weeks because, I don't know how you, I still don't know how I evaluated or how one evaluates, like whether you want to date, whether you want to seriously date someone that you've never even kissed before. Mm-hmm. And he, it was such a bizarre like thought exercise. Cause I was like, I have no, I have no way to know. I didn't think I was attracted to him and I had no way to know if there was going to be chemistry. And that's like a really important part of it. And I felt like if, what if I said I wanted to date him and then we like kissed and it was terrible. And then I was like, I take it back. Can we go back to being friends? Like, um, I wasn't sure that would work. And I really cared about our friendship, but I spent, um, ultimately I spent those two weeks like reflecting on everything I'd learned in my year on mesh.com. And it ultimately, uh, informed me that I thought it was worth a go because at the end of the day, Jason was not the kind of person that I thought I would have dated. He's like, he can be kind of like jockish and fratty in certain ways. And, um, so it, I just felt, and he's like really rowdy and I love that about him now, but at the time he was like a great friend. You're like, this is the best friend to like hang out with all the time. But he wasn't like the kind of person that I, I saw as like my, you know, forever person. And I thought about, I thought about it and I was like, I've learned a lot. I've learned that like what's really important to me now at this point in my life is someone who sees things similar to me, like similarly to me, like has the same values, um, is, is adventure seeking, like wants to go, you know, meet new people and do new things with their lives and explore. And, and, and so I said, yeah, I said, after two weeks, I said like, okay, why don't you come down to New York and we can have a date. (laughs) And he came down and and I was so nervous. It was like having him show up at my door 
I was kind of like, what am I going to do? Like, what if I, what if this doesn't work out? Like, what if I all of a sudden know that it's wrong the second he shows up, but he, the door opened and he was there and it was really weird. It was just kind of like, Oh, it's just Jason. Like, I don't have to be, he was my friend for a million years. I don't have to be scared about this. And he like took my hand and we walked to dinner and like, that was it. Now we're married and we have a kid. (laughs) It happens that way though. Like it just works out. Like you said, and it just, it just like feels right. And all of a sudden you're just like, Oh wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was such an odd thing. Like, you know, he's he, last week we were on good morning America, like promoting the book and, and he was telling the whole world, like be bold. This is like your journey to love. And I was kind of like, it doesn't always work out that way. You've just like inspired all these like future sad men across America to be like, I'm going to go tell my unsuspecting friend that she's the one. And then they're all going to get like shot down. <laughs> it would be like the saddest Valentine's day ever. Oh, you know? <laughs> that's so so what do you think let me ask you so you had good dates on match what do you have any tips for for Mm. match like like what's the best way to use match or any obviously like any dating site or app yeah 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 um so there's like so many different levels of answers to that question do we mean in terms of like setting up a profile or in terms of going on the actual dates or in terms of like balancing your time? What were the most important points or like, what are the most important things you learned about online dating experience? So, okay. (laughs) So many things. I would have to fill a whole book about it, (laughs) but I feel like the, some of the easier ones um, are sort of like bullet points would be, the first, the overarching one essentially is that I think it's really important not to write someone off based on the first like 15 minutes of your date. Um, and I think it's so easy. Like, I mean, I, I, we're all guilty of this. And this is like one of the, the themes of the book too, is that the internet and like the ability to app an internet date has turned us all into like much more finicky, impatient daters because it used to be, you know, like in, in New York, like you, you would go out to bars with your friends before, like people, you know, if you weren't online dating or whatever, and you would go out and like, that would be your, you know, one of your many nights of the week, you'd be like, okay, it's like Friday night. I'm out with my girlfriends. Like, I hope I meet someone. And mm-hmm. for me, I mean, everybody's different. Like my friends were very, very appealing. And so my friends always were very good at attracting men at bars. I was terrible at it. And I never, ever got asked for my number or anything. And it's like your Friday night would go by, your Saturday night would go by. And then, you know, like you're busy with stuff during the week. And then like, it's Friday night again. And you're like, okay, it's my night again. Like, I hope I meet someone. And then someone comes over and talks to you and like, they don't fit any of your like preconceived criteria. Like they're, they're not appealing. Like you don't have chemistry with them. Like they don't seem smart, but you're kind of like, well, it could be like eight weeks before someone else talks to me or longer. So like I'll give them two hours of my time at this bar and see how it goes. And now we have the opposite problem, which is that you're like on a date and within five minutes, you're kind of like, ah, there's like seven men waiting in the wings on my Bumble app. And I feel like I should just leave now because I can go set up my dates for the next, you know, 24 hours. I'll have two dates and then I'll have more throughout the rest of the week or whatever. Um, And I, I think that's a dangerous like I, I know a lot of like economists and stuff have written about this as a paradox of choice, but it's like, I think there are, it's dangerous territory because you don't, you need to be able to make those connections as if it doesn't exist. Right. Like we need to date as in the olden days. Um, and so I think my, my main advice is when you have the first date, like 
try and, and tap it, say like, okay, I'm only going to make it 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it is, but really give it your full attention and don't worry if the date's not going superbly well, because everyone has like an off night, you know, or an off day or whatever. Sometimes people have like off weeks. And I feel like you can't always judge based on that. You know, you can go, like, I could be giving like a lecture or speaking performance or whatever, and it could be terrible, but you catch me two nights later and it's better. Um, and so my advice would be like, wait, go through the first date and don't try to jump to conclusions until after the date. And in general, unless they did something that was like, you know, board, not offensive, but like that really rubbed you the wrong way or like made it really clear that they weren't for you or your values very clearly didn't align or something. I would say actually give it a second date too. And I'm not sure I did that all the time myself, but I did find that I was always surprised when I gave, when I gave people who I was ambivalent about a second date, I almost always liked them more on the second date. And I feel like we're all, we all have limited time. So it's like, it's hard to, to actually put that into practice, but I would say like, especially if you're on the fence, but even if you're not, if you can try and give a second date, it's like that connection just becomes so much easier. Um, I'm trying to think of other like bullet point advice things. Um, I find that I get through dates trying to fa- I think this is how I really enjoy the experience. I got through dates that didn't, that were very clearly not for me. Like they, our values very clearly didn't align or something like that. And I would, um, I would basically play a game in my head, which sounds so bad. And I don't mean it that way, but it was like, I would sit there and I would be like, okay, I am definitely not going to kiss you. I am definitely not going to go on a second date with you, but like I am goddamn it going to get out of here having learned something. And so I would make that my goal. And I, I think that was a way to transform dating into being really fun. So it was like the person across from me, I was like, we are not soulmates and this is not going to lead to another date, but I haven't learned a whole lot about your background. That's been interesting. Like, tell me more about your job. Like I, you know, I've met a million people that do that kind of, but I never really knew what it meant. Sorry. Wait, sorry. Did you say to them, you're clearly not my soulmate? No, no, no. I'm like thinking that in my head. And then I would say, no, I hopefully had like a little bit more text than that, (laughs) but I would just sit there and say like in my head, I'd say like, okay, I'm going to learn something. And so I would say, you know, like, tell me more about your job. And, And sometimes the jobs aren't like, super fascinating and things that you're going to learn from. But ultimately I really felt like every part, because we have so little in common often with the people across the table from us. um, I think it's really easy to learn about, you know, a part of the world you've never been to, or, you know, you were just like, even something as little as like, Oh, I needed like a new binge series. Like what are they watching on Netflix and they can give me advice on it or something. You know, it's like, it can be really little, but I feel like all of these people have everyone you're meeting has the ability to like, impact your life in a positive way. I feel like I sound like a cheery, like can do Pollyanna when I say that, but I really mean it. Like I just loved all my dates. Cause I was like, well, it never feels like a waste of time that way. And I think that's the big problem is that like dating gets draining when you're like, Oh my God, I've been on like 700 dates and I haven't met the one. If you're like, but I, I learned 700 things that were interesting. And now I like watch and binge watch this series, or I now belong to this club, or I'm now going on vacation to this place they told me about. Well, then you've like emerged net positive and that makes it all worth it, you know? So you would tell people to like keep an open mind and try to learn from, yeah. learn from every experience they, they have. Yeah. And I don't think it has to be deep learning. Like, I don't think it has to be like internalize it and like learn more about yourself. I think, I mean, that's great if you can do that, (laughs) but I feel like it can even be like learn about the Netflix series they watch or learn about like 
maybe they'll tell you that they're part of a running club and you're like, I was just looking for a hobby. It's like, you just sort of absorb recommendations or tips, or you've learned about a new neighborhood that like you now want to go see the museum they were talking about or the festival they went to. It's sort of like you kind of, you can become a better, a more, you can have a more fun experience as like a citizen of your own city. If you treat it that way, you know, what are, where are your favorite, uh, favorite places in New York? Like, I'm very curious. You're like all these interesting, like, like where, where do you go to, where are your favorite spots? Um, for dates or for like, like weekend activities or what? <laughs> but like, all, like, what are your, like, I would say for dates, like, what are your yeah, favorite for dates? And okay. yeah, bars, restaurants, so, like people are always asking yeah. us for recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I would say I try, I try to keep things there. I mean, to the greatest extent that I could, I felt like a lot of the time it's, it is old fashioned of me to say, but a lot of the times it was like the men suggesting like what we would do, which was great for me. Cause I was like, yeah, no brain power. I don't have to think about this. Um, <laughs> I'm the same but yeah, but my, so I tried to, if I could ever, I tried to mix it up a little bit about like the kinds of places that we would go to. So it was like, if, yeah, I didn't want to go to like three restaurants. I don't know. I sometimes I think a lot of people do this, so I feel embarrassed like saying it out loud. But I would have like two or three dates a day occasionally on Saturdays. You'd be like, oh, I've that's never done that. I had brunch and dinner. <laughs> like we've all done it, right? Right. <laughs> um, and so I like I would try to not sit like in the same, you know, in a coffee shop like three times in a row. I'd try to be like, oh, I had a coffee date. Now I'm gonna like go to walk a street fair or whatever. But in terms of like specifics of what that means. Um, my favorite, I love the rooftop bars in New York. Like that to me is always like such a fun sort of get outside, like see the city and they're changing constantly. Right. Like they're Mm -hmm. all like my old favorites have gone out of business and now there's new ones. I know that's Um, like the worst. It's hard. It was actually really frustrating writing this book because it was like, or doing that part of this book because the book, your publication dates get changed. And so it's like mine originally was supposed to come out earlier and then it got pushed back by several months. And so each time I'd be like, okay, it's fact checking time. And then you'd say like, oh, I, that like new bar that I just changed it to and updated, like it's also out of business. <laughs> the turnover um, in New York yeah. is so fast. I, I get it. I like cried when my favorite restaurant like went out of business in New York. Like Which I was, was so your favorite? about it. I, it's, it's so lame. Well, it's one of my favorites. China Fun. Um, it's like oh just, yeah! Oh my god! Oh my god! I love kind of fun. <laughs> I used to go there all the time with friends, like on for dim sum, like on weekends. It was so good. The food was so good. There was no like even now we'll go to like this like when I'm in New York we go to it's oh my god what is it it's like really fancy and it's in the fifties and it's not Mister Chow's but it's this <laughs> other and I'm just like I just won China Fun and I was so upset I tweeted about it and like oh, every. Outlet picked up my tweet, but actually, it's, I'll tell you a funny China fun story. So when I was first, so I grew up, um, and I can say the, this because without being creepy, because my husband doesn't live there anymore, and I don't either. I grew up on 63rd between York and First, and my husband grew up on like 65th and Third. And so uh-huh. we're having that first phone call. I said to him, "Oh, like, did you guys ever go to China Fun?" And he replied, mm-hmm. "And like, I kind of fell in love." <laughs> I'm like, oh. like, I knew I was in trouble. I'm like, oh shit. Um, he knows like exactly. And then um, when we were doing our, our wedding vows, I was sort of retelling the story. And then I said, you know, and he knew the number of China Fun. And I pointed to him and he like recited it. 
and it was just—it was just so cute because, and then he's like, "What if I didn't remember the number?" Because I was nervous. I'm like, "You know the number, like you know the back of your hand." Like, <laughs> but I, I love China Fun. I am so sad that it's closed. Yeah, that's so. I've lost. I've lost a lot of my like beloved rooftop bars in the last few years too, and the, each one like makes me super sad. But the one of the new ones that's really cool. I don't. I don't, I don't know how often you come to New York or if you've you've been there, but there's one called the Press Lounge, and it is like the dreamiest date space ever. Oh, it's really? it's a rooftop that has like an infinity pool on it, and Ooh. all these like sort of lanterns and fancy couches and like seasonal cocktails with like organic weird ingredients and everything's Ooh. delicious and that's like your sort of classy like 360 degree views of the city it's like that's a total like wraparound terrace it's amazing that's like a real and bonfire pits sorry I'm like going on and on I'm like I love this place no, so much. Love <laughs> but that's like a really awesome probably like second date place um I my favorite bar in the whole city is auction house and that thank god is still around and was like Wait, around I for my day like a million times <laughs> It like is it's my favorite. It's, it's like, yeah, it's it's uh it's like 89th, I think, between like but I, I lived on 89th Street for a really long time, and so it that's why I think it's on 89th Street. But it's like between second and first, I think. Um, yeah. And it is it is this like amazing like exposed brick wall den that's sort of like dive bar meets Renaissance Palace with like gilded mirrors everywhere and weird old portraits of Renaissance like and Renaissance style of like oil painting ladies and things um with velvet couches and it like feel you like I'm making it sound really fancy but like no, it's, it's really, like three dollars three dollar beers and like five dollar martinis <laughs> it's like super <laughs> relaxed um and so I I that was like always my go-to first date suggestion and now even when friends come into the city from you know if there's ever like a reunion situation going on where friends will be just need a bar where everyone can meet not anywhere near my apartment anymore but I'm always like oh she has like I can't wait to go there um it's amazing that's a good date space too no um, I, love, I love auction this is like warming this is like warming my heart any prego in me is like sitting here going I know, oh my god like, what I can I order I'm like I'm like what can I order what can I eat I want a cocktail I can't have one like oh <laughs> almost the end is in sight for you right almost almost yeah i know you're you're almost almost you're almost there we have to run in a second because yeah yeah yeah. so it's very late your time yeah yeah i i I have them coming and i don't want to cause noise my husband and his friends are moving stuff in again tonight so i like don't want it to like interrupt us and cut us off Yeah, yeah yeah no by all means but it was, but wait, I want to share your social media. Tell everyone where they can get your book. Mm, okay. So the book is called Match Made in Manhattan, and you can get it on Amazon or Target or Barnes & Noble or at pretty much like any independent bookstore near you. Um, the My social media is a spark because it's like the a for amanda s for stoffer and p for park my husband's name um and it's a spark seven on twitter and a spark seven eleven on instagram and i have an author website too that is like too long to say but if you just google amanda stoffer then you can find it we we put all this in the notes because like we don't want to make people google things because we don't like to google perfect perfect then that's that Email me, uh, just email me all the links. Well, and then I don't know when we're going to post this because we're banking shows because Allie is going on maternity leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I figured that was what was going on today when you were like, and we're on our seventh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is a, this is our fourth. 
Yeah. This is our fourth, and it's a lot. It's That's amazing. Four shows in one day is, is it's very, exhausting. And and some of them were like, I, I didn't think we were going to do long shows, and we ended up going we long did. with every yeah, single I'm like, show. I'm like falling asleep. Like, I've literally said to Amanda, I'm like, I need to get in the tub before the movers get here. Like, I know. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm dying, and she's pushing on my lungs, and I'm just like, oh, my God, baby girl, I love you, but, like, I, I, can't, no. I can't even. Like, oh, I'm literally. sorry. No, it's all good. It's the, you know, it's the end of the, you know, they say the end of the pregnancy is very hard, you know. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be better soon. <laughs> but it was so nice having yes, you. Yes, thank you so much for coming thank on. You. And as, and Thanks as we, for having me. As yes. we always say, be, be fabulous. fabulous. And hopefully not single, unless, unless you, you want to be. I love it. If, if you want to be single, be single. But if, <laughs> if you don't, and if you need some inspo, read Match Made in Manhattan. There you go. Thank you so it. much Thank for coming so on. Much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. We'll let you know when we post yeah, it. Yeah, we'll have the product. Mm-hmm. Thank you for Sounds coming great. on. Bye. Oh, bye. Thanks for having me. All right, have a good night. Have a good weekend. Bye, guys. You, you too. Bye. How to chain Fonda One, two, three, four Get your booty on the dance floor Work it out Shake it little mama Let me see you do the chain Fonda Five, six, seven now If you don't know, let me show you how To work it out